You are listening to episode 56 of the Deeper Than Work podcast. And on today's episode, I have a very special guest, and we're going to talk about what it means to be a Black woman in tech, the importance of building community, and so much more. If you are in the tech space, or any space for that matter, and you want to talk about how to build your tribe, build your community, how to navigate what it means to sometimes be the only person who looks like you in a space, then this episode is for you. (sighs) This is Deeper Than Work a podcast that specializes in real career talk for real career women. Join your host, Dorianne St. Fleur, as she shares practical and actionable strategies guaranteed to help you become the corporate powerhouse you're meant to be. Hey everyone, I am super excited to introduce today's guest. We have with us Lexi B. And Lexi is an entrepreneur, speaker, writer, freedom fighter, and a Black woman in tech who is doing her thing. In addition to all of that, Lexi is also a community builder. And she's the force behind Sister Circle Black Women in Tech, which is a solidarity group dedicated to supporting the work of Black women in the tech industry. Sister Circle Black Women in Tech is a community group that was established in 2017, and it's rooted in the deep history of fellowship groups and gatherings of Black women in the United States. There are three main goals for Sister Circle Black Women in Tech, and it's to build a strong network and safe space for Black women in tech, to partner with tech companies like SoulCycle, Facebook, Slack, and YouTube, just to name a few, to further the recruitment and retention of Black women in the tech space, and to create sustainable relationships with other Black entrepreneurs and Black-owned businesses. I've been a member of the Sister Circle group for about a year or so now, and it is such a needed community. And so without further ado, Lexi, let's go. All right. So I'm super excited um, for today's guest on the podcast. We have Lexi B, as she's affectionately known on these internet streets um, here. And Lexi, why don't you just give us a brief bio intro into who you are, and then we'll dive into our conversation. Yeah. So I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It's truly a pleasure and an honor. Um, I, my name is Lexi B. I am a senior program manager in the tech world. Um, I've worked at multiple tech companies since my since, since I started my tech career as a 22-year-old new college grad baby. So I've been in tech my whole career. And what I really love doing is getting people, getting legal policy engineering product in a room and trying to figure out either solve a really, really big problem or create a very, very cool solution to something that we see um, that can help the world. So I'm very big on working on these very interesting, like ethical privacy company responsibility um, type of narratives. So maybe not necessarily these products and how we actually build the product, but things like what is the company's response to discrimination or, or hate speech or privacy and what 
what is the company's obligation, you know, regardless of how the product is built? I always tell people when a lot of these tech companies were created, these products and ideas were and still are phenomenal and fantastic. But many times when inventors and creators create something as magnanimous as a social media platform or as a new type of hardware or things like that, as a new streaming system. They're not really thinking about what are the negative impacts if this gets into the wrong hands. So I, so where my jam and my bread and butter really lies in is how do companies start fighting that and making sure that if their products get into the wrong hands, if people are abusing and using their technologies in not the most positive way, what is the company's response and how can the company continue to make the world better, even though there are people who like to turn good things and use them for bad? Mm, I love that. I absolutely love that. I think that's the most like palatable way that I've heard um, tech (laughs) work described. So I really love that. Something that came up for me as you were speaking is that, you know, my background is fundamentally in human resources and people all of that. And one of, while the the products that a company creates is important, all those things you mentioned, another huge thing is the people (laughs) and and how these people um, are in, um, how they feel at work and how they feel like they belong. What is, what has been your experience um, and, or what opinion do you have on the tech world as it relates to the black and brown people who are there, who are who are the the employees at these companies, and how these companies, while they're thinking about their products and how those deal with how people deal with them on multiple levels, are they thinking about their employees and the experiences of black women in these organizations? What are your thoughts on that? I think that's important. I think that it's important for companies, especially companies that publicly stand on values such as diversity and inclusion and retention. I always tell people I'm really tired of hearing the word diversity and recruiting if we're not going to talk about retention. Because if you recruit a hundred black and brown bodies, but you can only retain two, then you've really just wasted time, energy, and resources in the recruitment process to get those a hundred people. So I'm very, very big on retention personally. Um, And I do think that It is important for tech companies and actually all companies. It's 2020. So it's interesting how people continue to use the word tech companies to describe the Silicon Valley when I could argue that all companies have some kind of tech focus Mm -hmm. because everything's on the internet. And in order for your company, regardless of what it does, whether it is a social media platform that was built in the Silicon Valley or whether it is a high fashion fashion line or whether it is a Wall Street or whether it's even a hospital, right? How tech has inspired that. So I always argue and say at this rate, every company is a tech company um, to make sure that if you're going to stand on those values publicly, that you also stand in them privately and privately is in the walls of your company and what does that look like? Because I personally believe that having diverse rooms and diversity, not just in race. I think that many times people want to discuss diversity and they're talking about black and white and men and women. Um, As a proud black woman, I put in effort to make sure that my cross-functional teams are not just black and white and men and women. I need people that come from different backgrounds in what school they went to. I need people that do not that were not just raised in the Bay Area, that did not go to school in the Bay Area, um, considering that 
the companies that I work for, their HQ is in the Bay Area. And I do not think that many companies talk about geographic location enough, right? And what that brings. And the reason why I need these different bodies is because I need these different minds. And even as a black woman who I always tell people, I was born and raised in a household where my blackness and not being ignorant and learning from other people and learning how my blackness relates to them or does not relate to them and learning the beauty of other cultures was very important because I am a black, straight, cisgendered woman. I come from a lens that comes from that angle, more specifically black American because black is not monolith and Mm -hmm. black is very big and the diaspora is very big. And so to have different voices in the room that have literally different experiences than I do in the world makes my job easier because then I can learn things and input that into the solutions that we're creating. And so regardless if you like diversity or not, it's not really the point. The point is, is that if you don't have diversity in the room, then you're actually wasting time and money and money is actually time. And then you may have to go back and redo what you just spent six months creating because it didn't hit a certain narrative. Whereas or population. Whereas if you had someone from that population or from that mindset or from that geographic location, they could have stopped you six weeks in and said, hey, we're forgetting about ABC. Mm-hmm. And we wouldn't have to redo things. And everyone who works with me knows if there's one thing I hate, it's redoing work. So if we're going to do this, we're going to do this right the first time. We're going to get it done. Doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. If we have to go back in and add a couple bells and whistles, if we have to add a comma somewhere, fine, but I'm not about to sit here and redo everything because we made an oversight that was so great that could have been avoided by having someone in the room who could have stopped that oversight. That's what we're not going to do on my watch. I love it. I love the passion that you bring to this topic and, you know, the work that I've done in diversity and inclusion. I feel like this perspective is the missing link a lot of times in all these companies who talk about diversity and inclusion but are not actually moving the needle in the way that they would like. So let, let's switch gears a little bit then because what you said around needing the diverse uh, voices and, and all of these things, perspectives, backgrounds in the room, completely agree. And I think some companies, most companies are, they, they understand they need to do this and they're taking steps. Like we could have another conversation around if it's the right steps and what the, the yeah. outcomes are, but they're taking steps. And so that brings some, you know, diversity in that there are people on teams in departments at companies that don't look like the majority. So there's black women at certain places, et cetera. And oftentimes that means we're the only person in the room because these yeah. no matter where these companies are on their journey, they haven't yet hit the, you know, the the kind of tipping point yet where it's fully diverse, et cetera. And so we're the only people in the room. Now, I've had conversations with many people who are the only, I know that you have in the work that you do. What are some of those experiences like, um, in your opinion, either from your own personal experience or from people that you spoke to around being the only one in the room? Well, my experience is very interesting because I think that when you ask people that, you're going to get a different response. You could get a different response if the question is worded differently. I think Before we get into my professional life at 22, being a new college grad, I think the first question is, is that have I ever experienced being the only person in the room, even as a kid? Because it's a a very similar feeling when you're an adult, except now you have a credit score. 
right? And so I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, and both of my parents are from that area. My dad's from St. Louis, Missouri. My dad's from East St. Louis. For folks who don't know, East St. Louis is literally a city right across the Mississippi River, but technically in Illinois. And they met because they went to the same high school. And so my brother and I grew up there and I was always the only one. I was always the only one. I was in these white private schools and I was definitely the only one. Um, And it was a very weird experience, a very interesting and fascinating experience. Um, Some of the stuff I'm still in therapy for today. But walking into the tech industry, that was nothing new to me. So one, I say that to say that there's a difference between being the only person in the room and this is your first time experiencing it versus being the only person in the room and this is not your first time experiencing it. So I grew up in a space where Monday through Friday at three, I was the only person in the room. And then on Friday at 3.01 till Sunday at around six, until like Monday morning when I had to go back to school, I was among people that looked like me and sheltered me and protected me and loved on me in a very black American fashion. Right. And my parents did a great job of that. But I had to go to this school where I was the only one and I was very much crucified for that. Then I went to college and I went to Stanford University. And I think one of the reasons why I chose Stanford, because it was the blackest thing I had ever seen in my entire life from an educational perspective. That was not an HBCU. Mm -hmm. Um, And shout out to all the HBCUs because those are also very much important. And so coming into Stanford, Stanford was the first time where I'd walk into classrooms and I wasn't the only one. And I found myself being greatly intimidated by that. Um, First in a very awkward way, but then in like the most empowering way ever. I knew that black was beautiful. I knew that black was powerful and black was very intellectual, but it was the first time where it was literally in my face, right? That I'm competing with someone who looks like me to get to the highest score in the room. And it was intimidating and the greatest thing ever. And then I graduate. So imagine that kind of metamorphosis, being the only person in the room in class to then going to college and being like of many, (laughs) right? Um, And then going to work and being the only one. Um, out of my whole new college grad class in my first company, I was the only black woman. And the other black person was this, was this immigrant from Kenya. And so we were very, very different in our understanding of blackness and how it relates to whiteness and how it relates to the world. And so I really felt very alone. And I think I played it very safe because I felt like someone had taken all of this freedom that I got in college and they just said, "Uh we lied and like shackled me up again and put me in a box. And it wasn't until I started looking for another job outside of that company um, where I really kind of found my true voice. And it was when another company... um, I finally got a new job and I took that as a sign from like the ancestor saying that I am employable. And I always tell people when you, regardless of what color you are, when you figure out that you can get a job, the type of freedom that that gives you is some other level extraterrestrial, like ancestral born of the melanin freedom <laughs> because you don't care anymore. You don't care about what this person said. You don't care about what that person said. You don't care about your review. And I was in my late 20s when that happened. And I realized that I had been playing it very safe at the company that I was at. 
And there were a lot of things that happened at that company. I remember on my first day, I came out of the bathroom and some guy who was a VP um, who happened to be white saw me leave the restroom and told me that my shoes were very, very um, high. They were heels for a woman who'd be cleaning the toilets. There was a time at that company when I walked to a different building to go to a training um, and I didn't have my badge. I forgot my badge. And um, it turned out that that building was the same building where you can get a new badge. So the person, the receptionist told me to, you know, she looked me up, said, okay, you're good. Walk down the hall, get the badge. And it just so turned out that the head of security was walking in after me. And, in, and he decided to follow me all the way to the badge room because he said that I did not look like I worked at that company and it had been three years. And so all these little microaggressions really affected me in a very profound way because it made me feel every day that I just don't, I don't fit in here. I don't deserve to be here. And so when that next company came and said, oh no, you are popping, you are bomb. And it just so happened to be from the hottest startup at the time, the shackles came off and I just made a decision to myself. I'll never forget when that company called me and I was literally in fetal position in a corner in a dark conference room. So nobody knew that I was there. And the recruiter called me and said, you got the job, let's do this. And I cried for 20 minutes. And the tears weren't necessarily this, I'm so excited for the job, which I was. I was truly excited for the opportunity to work there. But the tears were like, oh, so I don't have to do this anymore. This being, I don't have to pretend to be okay with this behavior. And I, that day I made a commitment to myself and to my ancestors and to God that I was going to do everything in my power to make sure that another little Lexi B at 22 would not have to feel that way. And there's something very interesting about power and privilege. As you get higher and higher in your career, if you are good at your job, there are privileges that come with that. And with that privilege comes voice. And with that voice comes freedom fighting. And you can say things and you can challenge things and you can do things that you maybe would not have done three to four years back because you were not at the head of the table. And that's what I've been doing since I got that job in 2016, is that I was like, I'm not going to do this anymore, right? I'm not going to allow people to treat me a certain way. Um, if somebody says anything crazy, I am going to respond. Um, and that's really how I think my freedom fight really started to manifest was saying that I may be the only person in the room and I can't change that fully, right? No one, no one person can change that fully. But what I can do is that when you leave the room, I will make an impact that you either A, never, ever, 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 ever speak to a black woman in the way that you just did ever again, whether it's out of respect or fear right? Or, or B, want to work with me again. That's all that I wanted to do, right? That's all that I wanted to do. And so every time another 22-year-old black girl walked through the doors as a new college grad into her company, then maybe that same person sees a little bit of me in her. And then therefore that humanizes her, even though she already is a human. But because of systemic racism and colonization and slavery and 500 years of trauma, that person may not have humanized her before. Mm -hmm. And that's really been my freedom fight ever since. Oh, my gosh. I love so many gems in that story. I think the key, the first key 
because there were many, was around just the background. I think I take for granted a lot of times when I say being the only in people's perspectives that there are people coming from different points of view. I grew up in Brooklyn, Caribbean neighborhood. We were all black, black school, black church, black this, went to an HBCU, shout out Spelling College. Um, and so my first, first time was at work. Like I didn't have any of those pre-experiences. So it literally slapped me in the face like, whoa, what is happening? So I, I love though that your experience though different, we kind of we ended up at the same spot where <laughs> like what is happening, but the journey was so different. I think that's so key. And something to think through as you think about those things. And I also love the story about once you got to that role, when you got that job offer, how that changed. It sounded like it changed your internal narrative about yourself and about Black women and about what you can you can achieve. And so that to me stands out because there's a lot of women listening to this right now who are like, well, it's easy for her to say she got that offer. You know, she's, she's a high performer. She's good at what she does. And so now she can do that. She can stand up for herself. But what about me? I, I don't feel like I have a lot to offer or people are, they have basically internalized all the negativity. Yeah. What do you say to that person who's listening and says, I don't know what I I hear you, but it just doesn't I I don't I don't know what to do. I would say one, don't let this fool you. I'm great at talking. I internalize stuff every day. It was funny. I was talking to someone a couple days ago about this, about her career journey, another black woman. And she under her breath mentioned, she said, you know, it's really hard to talk to successful black women in their career because I just feel like I keep getting no and they keep getting yes. And so I kind of paused her and I said, you know, I really don't know if you meant me in that statement. And I really don't want to know if you did, because that's weird. But the point is, is that I've had so many more no's and I've had yeses. Um, I think also kind of coming from where you come from, my mom put me in, this is kind of a weird segue, but my mom put me in musical theater at a very young age. So I always tell people I've never really had a problem with no. I was never the kid that, had a problem with no because I was literally in professional musical theater since I was six. So therefore, imagine being 14 and being told that you can't get a starring role because you're too dark and you're too short and you're too curvy. Because that's how music, that's how Broadway works. And the person saying it wasn't saying it in a racist way. It's like, we have these six girls and all these six girls have to be this certain height and they have to look a certain weight. They have to look collectively the same. And so even though you have the quality, you, you can't, you can't do it. So I always tell folks like maybe I have a very weird connection to the word no, because since I was very small, I'm like, okay, well, if you say no, like somebody gonna say yes. Right. Um, and I, I, and I do have to check my privilege in that, but I definitely get a lot more no's than I get yeses all the time. I think that my background in musical theater has just taught me that I'm just not scared of getting a no. Mm. Because what's going to happen if I get a no? Then I just don't do what I wasn't doing to begin with? Okay, (laughs) right? Um, And then I would say, and secondly, you might not be able to change the world right now. But you can change your Monday. And you can change your Tuesday right? And you can change your Wednesday. Um, and then, so I, I always tell people that as well, is that sometimes, especially in freedom fighting and in community building, we want to like bite the whole apple. And I'm like, well, this is like a 600 year old apple that's been growing. So the fact that you think that you can just bite all of it and change it tomorrow is actually really concerning. Um, this is like 600 years in the making. So 
what can we do to scratch the surface of that apple today for you? Because when you're good, then other people can be good. Mm -hmm. So even in that freedom fight, learning when you can give to the cause, but when you have to give to you. And the third thing, which some people find controversial, is I always like to remind Black bodies and Black humans, focus on the work. Focus on being good at your job. There are times when we're going to have to focus on the microaggressions because those are real. And in order, for, in order for anyone, regardless of color, to be good at their job, they have to be placed in an environment that, is, that gives them the ability to succeed at their best. When you deal with microaggressions, when you deal with real racism, when you deal with waking up to Twitter and CNN and Facebook and Instagram and all these other social media channels that tell you another black body was shot yesterday, when you deal with looking at that black, that, that black body and inserting your brother or uncle's or father's face or your sister's face or even your face, and then you still have to go to work? T talk about a successful work environment. This company doesn't even realize the stuff that we go through, how no matter what they do with the company, this is not a successful working environment. And that's nothing against the, the company. It's just that I watched CNN this morning and another black body was shot because they were black. But then I have to come to work and pretend everything's fine. And so what I always tell people is one, you don't have to pretend things are fine at all. I don't. I don't. Just because you don't have to pretend things are fine you have a right to have discourse about why you're not fine. You have a right to find communities where you can have real, real, real level discourse to why things are not fine. And I support that and I validate that. And I always tell people, if I can be that person in your phone, please call me because I got you always, mm -hmm. right? I want to see all Black people succeed and be great. What we have to do as Black people, which... By the way, many of us are doing this. I hate when people assume that I'm saying that none of us are doing this because black is fantastic and black is perfection, especially in the early stages of your career, though. Get good at your job. Get real good at your job. So find the community that you can vent to. Find the mentors and not even mentors. I really hate that term. Because, you know, in the diaspora, we don't look at mentorship the same way. Find the fellowship. Find the elders and the sister cousins and the uncles and the aunties that'll make you a plate of food, ask you about your love life, and then be like, so what are we doing about this job, though? Find those people, right? Figure out what we need to do to get through this and get good at your job. Mm -hmm. Because I if you it. can do that in the first three to four years of your career, the sky's the limit because most people, regardless of color, what I've learned in my career is that most people, regardless of color, they don't get that foundation. Mm -hmm. And you'll be my age in your 30s, literally sitting in meetings like, oh, that person can spell. Val, okay. I see you, right? So I think that for Black people in the tech industry, get good at your career. And whatever I can help to make sure that that foundation is built, you let me know. Because if you're good at your career, it's not even about putting the freedom fight on the back burner. That's not what's happening. The fact that your foundation is getting so good, that is the freedom fight. I love it. 
I love it. And this is something that really hits home because I spent the first five years of my career in just a really tough environment. It was a big investment bank and it's known for its culture. Um, but, and when I, people ask me about it and they say, you know, well, would you have changed anything? And I wouldn't, even though it was tough because I, it allowed me to get good at my job. <laughs> it allowed me to understand how to, how to show up, how to present, how to speak, how all of the things. Right. And now fast forward all these years later, and I have all these opportunities. And I've done all these things and it's, I partially probably luck being in the right place at the right time, fine, but most of it is I just got really good. I'm, I'm actually good. I, and I can say that with confidence. I'm good at what I do, right. period. And that's why I have the opportunities that I have. And people overlook that a lot. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because I think that it's a controversial thing to say because I think that sometimes, at least when, when, when I have said it publicly, people interpret that as I'm saying, oh, just walk through the fire and don't say anything and be quiet against all the racism and the aggression and just become good. And it's going to be different. No, no, no. Freedom fighting and you getting good are hand in hand. Right. But what I have seen sometimes is people are so focused on the freedom fight. If they come talk to me, my first question to anyone will be, are you good at what you do? And if the answer is, I don't know yet or no, my next question is why? What do we need to get you there? Because they go, they, they go hand in hand. And that doesn't mean that people have a right to throw stones at you mm-hmm. while you become good. That's a separate conversation. But what I want to make sure is that my Black people and the diaspora that I hold so dearly is that we're good. And this is not even about being twice as good to get the same amount. That is a separate conversation, which unfortunately is valid because of slavery and colonization. But I'm literally just talking about if someone asks me, are you good at what you do? And I say, yes. Can you back it up? Can you back it up? Because if you can back it up, we can just zoom through this freedom fight. So where do you want to go? Because all that is is a phone call. Right? And that's what happens in majority spaces as Mm-hmm. Right. And people don't talk about that a lot. I have literally been in spaces with non black and brown bodies where, yes, nepotism is 100 percent real, where people are receiving jobs, not because they're actually good at them, but because their dad said, oh, I know this person. But then you start meeting the people who run the businesses and you're like, oh, but you're like, you're good. Um, there's a difference. Mm-hmm. I love right? it. Yes. There's a difference. Get good. Get good. There was a woman that I used to work with. Her name is Belinda Johnson, who's phenomenal. And um, I used to work for Airbnb back in the day. And she was at the time the, the, like, the head of legal and then at one point the CEO of the company. And every time she walked in a room and she was a woman who happened to be white Every time she walked in the room, the room got quiet because everyone knew how good she was at her job. And I remember I was 26, 27. That was my second job. And the, from the first day that I observed her, I remember the first time that I observed her in a meeting, like she didn't know who I was, right? Um, I think I maybe spoke to her like four months into my job because I was very intimidated. Because I was like, oh, you're good. The one thing that I learned from her was get good. 
I've never seen it before in my entire life. How good she was. And well, I've seen that before, right? But the response to her quality of work. Mm -hmm. And I was maybe 26, 27 years old. And it really put an impact on my life, right? Where I was like, I want to be that good. I want to be that good. Um, And that's what I've been striving for, for my whole career. Love it. Yeah. Absolutely love it. You talked about community a few times so far, and I know that that's something that's really, really uh, something you're passionate about and that you not only are passionate about, but do something about it. And that's, in fact, how I was introduced to you and the work that you do is through the community that you have online. Tell us about um, community in general, why it's so important, and also about the Sister Circle, Black Women in Tech. Yeah. So I think, well, number one, community is important because it takes a village to raise a child and it takes a tribe to raise an adult. And so (laughs) I think that number one, I think that black people, we have to collectively continue our tradition of how we work. I always tell people I'm tired of this concept of the American dream that was actually created by white straight men. Right. So like, it's very possible that my dream does not actually match the American dream and how in which we build it because I'm not a white straight man. So How I was raised um, in my home with these very militant, phenomenal black people was this idea of like, this is how black folks rule the world and how we do it is through fellowship and community, right? We don't leave people behind. Mm -hmm. You may not like it, but you, you, you coming along. Thank me later. Right. And so, um, my first job, I was the only black woman, new college grad. Um, I was the to, to my knowledge, I was one of very few black women in the engineering department. I was an engineering program manager. And, but I had these black fairy godmothers who were in their 40s and 50s who were in HR. And so I would always go to them when something was wrong. And they did share that blackness with me. They were the ones who'd always be like, so before you pop off, just come see me. Mm-hmm. I had these amazing women in my life that literally I would just come see them and they'd be in a meeting and they would say, okay, meeting adjourned. Lexi's here, right? Um, And because of them, I have a career because imagine being 24 and being told, well, you just can't do that because you can't, even though you put all the work into it. And I would just run over to them and then they would calm me down so I could Mm -hmm. get through another day. So then I went to Airbnb, which is a phenomenal experience. And there were a lot more black people that looked like me and a lot more women but I still noticed a void. I sat in the legal department, in the compliance department, and I was the only person who looked like me. And because Airbnb was a small company, when I went there, it was less than 2,000 people. Um, You saw everybody all day. We had one building, (laughs) right? When you have a company that's small, regardless of color, you see everyone every single day. It's like a family. So I did not feel this lack of blackness because we were there, but it was very clear that I was the only person that looked like me in my department. Mm -hmm. So in 2017, I got on Facebook, on my personal Facebook account, and I started a group and I called it Sister Circle Black Women in Tech because I decided that um, if we're going to get ahead as a collective unit of black women, we can't expect these companies to have all the black women to the best that we can do is just know all the other black women at all these tech companies, which when you think about it is more powerful because what's more powerful for me to know every black woman at my company or for me to know one black woman at every single company. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm like, that's more powerful. 
And so I started the group. I added 10 women um, in my Facebook part of my Facebook friend list who identified as a black, as a black woman and worked in tech. And I said, invite your friends. I remember we had a brunch, maybe a few weeks later, everyone paid for their own meal. 25 people showed up. And what I noticed at the brunch, it was funny because I was just sitting there in the corner, just watching people interact. We didn't have a specific agenda. And what I noticed was I was like, there's something beautiful about being black women. Like black women magic is another level because we can just walk into a space. We don't need an agenda. We don't need an agenda. And that's what I learned at the brunch. I was like, as long as I continue just putting black women in a room and maybe provide some food, (laughs) they'll just like do their thing. And then at the end of it, everyone feels more connected. And then all of them go follow each other on LinkedIn and they get each other's numbers. And then some of them who've realized, oh, I'm from Mississippi too, or oh, I'm a mom too, or Oh, I'm also in finance, get each other's numbers. And there's something very beautiful about the black connection that is literally in our DNA and in our bones where we don't have to do much. And one of the reasons why is that there are, we are lacking in the tech industry. So when we see each other, we're like, sis, (laughs) come to my bosom, right? (laughs) So we don't have to do a lot. And that's what we did. And so now the group, we just celebrated our third birthday in this past April. And we have almost 6,000 women all over the world from different countries and different languages who either A, work in technology, B, work in tech adjacent, like Black Girls Code or startups that support, I'm sorry, not startups, nonprofits that support the tech industry. Um, Women who work in the tech field who don't work in quote unquote tech industries, like the head of product for Nordstrom or the head of product design for BET and things like that. And then of course we have our students um, that are trying to get into the tech industry. And what we do is that we partner with tech companies and we've partnered with amazing, wonderful partners such as Facebook and Instagram and um, Slack and YouTube and Airbnb and other other organizations, phenomenal woman campaign, Soul Cycle, and we pr- and we produce these amazing events for these women. Um, so, for a good example, was in September we did a Black Beauty Shop with Instagram and transformed their space in San Francisco into a Black Beauty Shop and talked about what does it mean to be authentic as a Black woman in the tech industry. And so that's what we do, and it's been this amazing experience to watch it grow and. Um, watch it really just kind of fulfill the dreams of other other people. So I'm very proud and very honored um, that I'm at the helm of it and that I've been witness to see all this greatness. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I've been a part of it for about a year now. And even before I joined, I just kept hearing people say, have you heard of this group? Have you heard of this group? And I'm like, what, what is this? And so I went in there and I'm one of those people who are like, I'm in the tech industry, but I'm not technical at all. I do diversity and inclusion and HR. And I'm um, just coming in there and seeing just the breadth of women that are there, the roles, the locations, the stories, and see how people rally together to give advice, to give opportunities, connections. It is absolutely amazing and just a beautiful thing to watch and to to hear that it went from 10 friends to now almost 6,000. It did. It It went from a 25 person brunch to some Beyonce soul cycle rides. (laughs) This really happened to, yeah, 6,000 people. It's pretty crazy. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I'll be sure definitely to put the link in the show notes of how people can join, et cetera. Um, and so as we wrap up our conversation, like what's the, the, the one takeaway you want any person listening who is like, I'm ready to change my internal narrative, get good at what I do, start to build community, you know, in this space, what's the one takeaway you have for them about really just excelling and thriving in their career? Find the elders. I always tell people that if you can, you know, so everyone is different, but I always tell people that my career is grounded in me searching for people that could give me honest advice, not nice advice, not cute advice, but really honest to God advice on this is how you do things. And some of those people give me advice on certain layers of my life. Some of those people and these specific ones are also black women. Mm-hmm. have given me advice to all the layers of, of my life. Um, I actually remember when I started dating um, somebody very seriously and I actually went to my mentor and I kind of mentioned it accidentally and she literally stopped the whole conversation and she was like, is he for your career? Mm. Like we sat there <laughs> drinking, drinking some like Jamaican rum punch and I thought we were talking about a negotiation for a job offer. And because I casually mentioned him in there, she said, no, let's know that that's more important than this negotiation. Right. So I always tell people, keep your elders close. How I define elders is not by age, but by wisdom. Mm. I have elders in my life who are a year, who are, who are a year younger than I am. I have elders in my life who are only two years older than I am. I'm talking about wisdom Mm. and always coming to them with honesty. Do not sugarcoat your ish and that they will give you honesty back. And that doesn't mean that you may take their advice because your life is your life, right? And you have to decide how you would like to perform in it. And that's the beauty of being an adult. Also the scariness of being an adult, but surrounding yourself with people that will always tell you the truth about your career. Everything else, it'll just blend from there. And that's very, very big. Yeah. Have people that'll sit you down and be like, no, sis, you are going way left. Mm -hmm. I love it. And I'm so glad you defined elders. I literally was going to ask you that (laughs) as well. I always have to define it. People are like, you mean older? And I'm like, they can be, but it's really about the wisdom. And that's why I, I, I love the word elder. Cause I'm like, it's not about being older. It's literally about this like manifestation of like, no, like I am your elder. I E I went through that last year. Don't yes. Right. Or I went through that last year and this is how I would do it. And I think that that's the thing when it comes to blackness, especially in America slash Western society, We are behind in the corporate world by 300 years. And it's not our fault. We were too busy creating the corporate world for free because of systemic racism, trauma, and slavery, right? You can't do this alone. You cannot be on an island alone. So why would you? Go talk to people who've done it. And not all of it, but have done the small thing you want to do. So even as small as go talk to the elder who's like, Oh yeah, I worked at XYZ company last year. You don't know how many calls I get from people who are like, I just want to know about your experience at the company you worked for six years ago. Here you go. And I always give the caveat of that was almost 10 years ago. It could change now, but this is what it was. 
that was an eldership moment. You can't do it alone. And I think that until we collectively understand that, we're not going to get anywhere. Because when you have people beside you, you can build faster. Yes, this is so yeah. big. And, and I, I love the way you're, this again goes back to what you talked about in the beginning, just the difference in perspectives, et cetera. The way you're like um, grounding all of this with the elders and our history, et cetera, and you're putting language to it in that way. I typically talk about it as like, strategic networking and informational interviews it's all the same thing it's all it's the like, same girl yes, it's all yes. The same. I always <laughs> tell people I'm like I be calling my parents six times a day like so so and so said and it's funny because my parents are not in the tech industry my dad's a doctor my mom's a teacher I'll be frank with you my dad always jokes during Christmas and he's like I really don't understand what you do half the time but as long as your bills are paid <laughs> right but even in keeping contact with them for life decisions right um But just, I always have these people around me. I never make a career move without talking to someone, which sounds horrible in theory, because it sounds like I can't do it by myself. I don't want to do it by myself. I don't want to do it by myself. You know, people always ask me about negotiation. I'm like, I don't know. I don't negotiate for me. And people laugh. And I'm like, I don't. What happens is, is that the company comes and says, this is what we're offering. I have, I cannot make this up. Here's my negotiation secret. I have an email list and a text group of about five to six people. And I'll be like, company A, B, and C said, blah, blah, blah. We got to respond by tomorrow. What are we doing? (laughs) I swear. They go back and forth. I read it. Sometimes one person disagrees with the other. So I read it. I have all these diverse perspectives. I find the one that is best for me. Sometimes I'll go out my way and actually contact that person and say, so exactly what am I saying in that email? I've had times where I've actually had a friend literally write my response and I'm like, copy, paste, and I don't negotiate for me. Why? Yeah. That's not my job. Tap into those <laughs> elders. Tap into that's those the, elders. Right? And just like I've done it for other people. And so I think that's the biggest thing for us. Go find your people. And just do this. Do what we know how to do. Do what's in our blood. Do what we've been doing for thousands and thousands and thousands of years before colonization came and tried to stop us because that's our greatest asset. That's the funny thing about colonization, right? They came and not only did they take us physically, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally, they saw the beauty. And they said, we're just going to pretend that's not there anymore. Mm -hmm. So what happens if we just tap into that and go, okay, so we're just going to use that. And we don't put it here. And that's what I recommend to everyone. Mm, absolutely love it. We're going to mic drop on that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lexi, Thank for you. taking the time to chat with me. I really appreciate it. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. This is really how we spread the message and let people know about what we're doing here over at Deeper Than Work. And if you want to share with me on social tag me at your career girl. Let me see those photos of you listening to the podcast. Tell me what was your biggest takeaway. I can't wait to connect with you.